It was 39 degrees when we got on the plane Wednesday morning. Thank you, Jesus. We wore our jackets to the to the 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 car. Left our jackets in the car, ran into the terminal. Got our tickets, ran to the plane. And as I shared on on Friday night, we got to Houston and melted out of the plane. Oh, my Atlanta, it was hot. <laughs> so it's a pleasure and a true honor to be here with you. Just the opportunity to come and share. And Brother Todd, thank you so much for sharing your pulpit and, and allowing us to do this. As um, Brother Todd told you, we are um, we are brothers in the Lord. We've had the same mentor. Uh, and my, my lovely wife of uh, 41 years, I'm, I'm, I told her I was going to get her up, but I'm not going to because I don't want to be in trouble. <laughs> She's my better two-thirds. And um, I'll tell you what, a pastor's wife has the hardest job in the world, I think, next to a mom of toddlers. Usually they've had toddlers, so they've, they've been doubled. But it's, um, it's an honor to be married to my wife. She is my best friend, and she's my greatest supporter, and I just um, want her to know that. I am sucking up, <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Okay. So if we um, if we were to gather here today, as we do as a church, I'm going to ask you a couple questions today to start off with. The first question that I think um, all Christians would be able to give me the answer for is, who owns everything? The question is found, or the answer to that question is found in the Bible. It's um, in Psalms. This is what the psalmist writes in Psalms 24, 1 through 6. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, some translations say any idols, and does not swear deceitfully, he, and you can put she in there also, will receive blessing from the Lord. You want to see, you want to receive blessings from the Lord? and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. When we, um, when we answer that question as Christians, it should be a resounding, yes, I know who runs everything. It has to be God. Because in his word, he reminds us that the earth is his and the fullness thereof. So I boil that down very simply to it is, it's his sandbox, his toys, and he includes us in it. Do we understand as Christians how blessed that we really are that the God of the universe, who the word says before we were fashioned in our mother's womb, knew us intimately, knew us intimately, knew exactly how we would live after he created us, knew the things that we would do right and wrong, yet still save us. That he would call us and bring us into his kingdom out of all of the peoples of the earth. Do you ever think about how fortunate and blessed you are just from that one thing? We have been saved unto good works. It took me a, you know, I've... I've always thought about, you know, what I was saved from. You know, I was saved from sin. I was saved from You know, the Word of God tells me I was saved from the wrath of God. That I was an enemy of God when I was, before I was born again. You were too. All of us in this room were His enemies. Yet, He chose to love, not only love, but to come to earth and die for His enemies. 
Now, some people don't necessarily believe that. They don't believe that God's creation could be his enemy. If we are living in sin and we are separated from him, we are his enemies. That's what the word says. It's not my words. So if that is true, why would someone want to, from the, from the foundation of the earth, the Bible says, be slain? That it was a done deal from that time because he knew what man would do. Why would a man come to this earth and die for someone who is his enemy? The Son of God came to this earth. The Bible says he came to his own in John. And his own received him not. They rejected him. They crucified him. They crucified him on a tree, the wood that he made. They hammered nails into his wrists and into his feet with metal that he had created. And from the cross, he looked down and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's the God who serves. That's the God that we serve. Now, that's quite a question. So if I was to ask you this question today, what did Jesus come, what was his purpose when he came to this earth? What would you say? It's okay, it's, it's class participation time. What have we been told that Jesus came to do? Save the lost. That's a good one. What's that? It's save the lost and dying world. Those are all true. To heal us. Amen. Bear witness to the truth. Oh, you was at the first service, weren't you? I'm going to talk to you afterwards, brother. This is what Jesus said his purpose was. When he was standing in front of Pilate, the man who could turn him loose or crucify him. Remember, Pilate said, don't you know that I have the power I have the power to put you to death or release you. And Jesus says, you don't have any power that God didn't give you. You ain't nothing. And that's kind of hard for a, a Roman uh, ruler to hear. But in front of this man, this is what Jesus said to him. When he asked him if he was a king, Jesus said, for this purpose I was born... And for this purpose, I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Well, I thought he came to save the lost. Yes, he did. Oh, I thought he came to save the world. Yes, he did. He came to heal us. Yes, he did. But when confronted by a man of power, when he could have said, I've come here to save you and change your life. I've come here to die for you. He said to Pilate, I have come to bear witness to the truth. Now think about that statement, saints. We don't hear that much about Jesus, do we? We, we understand him to be our savior. I mean, all of those are true. But remember, Jesus said, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come, John 10.10, 10, that you might have life and that life more abundantly. So there's two things at work here. There's death, stealing, and destruction. And life, and that life more abundantly. This is what he says to finish this. He said, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate's response Somewhat sarcastically, what is truth? Kind of cynical, right? So the question I'm asking you today, if Jesus owns everything, which we have, I don't think anybody would disagree with that, right? He's the creator of all. And that he came to bear witness to the truth, and he dwells in his church, then what are we? First John chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children 
of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him because we see Him as He is. And everyone who thus hopes in Him purifies himself as He is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. You know that He appeared in order to take away sins, and in Him there is no sin. No one who abides in Him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen Him or known Him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous. And he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Lies. Are they not? How did the devil deceive mankind in the very beginning? Did he not come and say, hath God said? Did he? He's really holding out on you. I mean, he starts with all of these questions and start appealing to them, and they went after that which they were forbidden to do. He lied to man. Man bought the lie, and that lie then, that God does not love man perfectly, has been in society since then. That God is not good. Because remember, if God was good, he wouldn't withhold this from you. So the enemy came and he lied and he sold a lie and man bought that. And so that is his work. He was a liar from the beginning and he's still a liar. So the church is something different. And John reminds us that we're something different. We are people who abide by the truth not by the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him. What is that seed? His spirit. Every individual in this room who has received Christ has his spirit. You and I have the spirit of truth living in us, the purpose for which Jesus came. Because how do you combat the, the lies of the devil that is in the world and in people who do not know Jesus Christ if you don't combat those lies with truth? Not the truth that you and I think it is, but the truth that God says that it is. God's seed abides in him and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. I asked this question of the, of the church in the first service. Now, when I talk about the church, um, I'm talking about the body of Christ, not family life church. Although gathered here, we're in a building, but you are the church. Boy, that's a good place for an amen. <laughs> do, you, do you not agree with that? Okay, you and I are part of the church in Lafayette, Gillette, Wyoming, all over the world. His body is made up of truth, or it should be. And when John says this, the children, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Jesus said, they will know you are my disciples by one thing. By how much money you give. By how much you attend church. By whether you have a great education or not. What did he say? You will, they will know you are my disciples by your love for one another. And see, right now, the world is on this collision course, and it is trying to strip all authority and all law. 
and it is intended to bring a rift within the church. And when the church starts fracturing, then society will fracture. The church has to be that place where truth abides. Not what we think is truth, but what the Word of God says truth. Not our interpretation of that truth, but what God says is truth. And so we're working through this. All of us. I'm learning. And, and as we go through this, we get to see how this thing works. Now, I asked this question of the, ch of the church earlier. Do you want to be known as the church in Lafayette that has the best worship so that people will come? Amen? Now, those of you who are in the first service going, okay, I know where he's going. No offense to the, the men and women up here that did a phenomenal job of worship today. But the church today in America, more often than not, defines worship as this act that we just did here. And that's how we determine or put our status within the community. People say, oh, they have the best worship over there. Oh, I go there for the worship. Do you know this is only one form of worship? And this worship really should only grow out of the other forms of worship that we do. Prayer is a form of worship. Bending our knee to God in prayer. And I think, and this is just me, based upon what John says, based upon what Jesus said, because remember, Jesus said at the, at the Last Supper when he was, was taking care of his disciples, Remember, he got up and he wrapped his tunic around him and he got down and he was doing their feet. And Peter says, mm-mm. <laughs> Jesus said, listen, I didn't come to be served. I come to serve. So if the God of the universe, the maker of heaven and the earth, the spoken word would come to earth in the flesh, not to be served, but to serve, then how should his church act? The greatest form, I think, and, and the most, where you can tell a church really worships God is how they treat one another and how they treat the lost outside these walls. Because when I come to a, a human being that God has created, and I treat them as Jesus would treat them, I am worshiping God. And that, I believe, is one of the greatest forms of worship that Christians are called to do. This is good. But see, this works on our excitement. This gets us up and gets us going. I'm going to tell you what. Expressing compassion and love to people that aren't loving you that's work. It's easy to go, peace be worn, filled, rotten hell. Come on. That's easy. Where was Jesus found? He was found with the publicans and the sinners. They come to drag him out one time because the crowd was mad at him that he was in a, a publican. You know, the tax collectors? We love those guys, right? He was in this guy's house, and they come to drag him out and say, what are you doing here? He said, I'm, the, the healed don't need me, the sick do. Jesus was found with the people. The, the people he had problems with were religious people. He always fought with people who tried to set these rules and regulations and bind them on people's hearts that they couldn't even live. So he lived, and here's the difference. I see... People say, well, you know, that means I can go do this. Listen, it's good, and, and most people really need to have this in, within the church today. We need friends outside the church. Thank you for that amen back there. Because if we stay in the church and we just hang around Christians, we lose track and touch with what's going on outside. 
Now, when I'm with my friends that are outside the church, I don't act like them. I, I live, I, I'm the same with them as I am at home. I want, when, when, I, when I go and meet people, I do, I do a lot of stuff in town, and when I meet people, I never introduce myself as Pastor Marty. I always come up and say, Marty, I love listening to people talk. And pretty soon, inevitably, in some situation, they will say, well, what do you do? And sometimes, <laughs> you know, we have a lot of oil field up there. So they've, you know, there's, there's two forms of language. There's the, there's oil field and that, you know. And, and inevitably, I get to, they'll say, what do you do? And it might be with a punctuation of, you know. And I say, oh, I'm a pastor. Oh, and they just start. But I don't condemn them. You know why? Because if Christ dwells within me and he came to serve, then I'm called to serve. Saints, you have been called to serve where you're at. If you are, at, if you are in a position in work, no matter whether you're in, the, in, in, super, in as a management or if you're a, an employee or a vendor or whatever you are, God has uniquely placed you where you're at to show his love to people that are around there. He has never called his church to build a, a, a monastery on a hill and let people come to that. The church was designed to go out and be with people because it is people. And so if we as people neglect this commandment I mean, think about what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called the children of God. Yet man wants to separate and divide and different things. So when we, when we come to this, John mentioned something. He mentioned lawlessness. And Paul wrote about lawlessness over and over and over. I would encourage you, if you've got a concordance, to just look up the word lawlessness and see where it's used, especially in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, it's the same. And it's, it's amazing. This is what he says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. He says, Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by the spirit of the spoken word or the letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. I just love in, within the, the Christian um, culture today, this worry and this um, emphasis on Jesus coming back. I mean, do you know there's a lot of people that are really disappointed because I think wasn't Jesus supposed to come back September 28th or something like that? 23rd. Are you okay? You still here? They're, they're doing this. I, oh, my Lanta. Let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. the son of destruction. That word son of destruction there is the same words that Jesus used for Judas when he went out from him. Who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Do you not remember that when I was still with you, I told you these things, and you know what is restraining him now so that he may be revealed in his time? For the mystery of lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's 2,000 years ago. Only he who now restrains it will do so until he's out of the way. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan. What is Satan's activity? Lies. With all power and false signs and wonders and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing 
listen to this, and with wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. What did Jesus say he came to bear witness to? The truth. What did John say about the church that was different? They didn't know Jesus. They don't know you. They hated Jesus. They hate you. Because Jesus stood for the truth. He came to bear witness to the truth. Therefore, and I always tell our church, if there's a therefore there, see what it's there for. Go back up and read the preceding pages. Therefore, because these people have refused the truth and so be saved, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false. Will your God do that? Yes, he will. I didn't say it. A man who had visions and saw Jesus said it. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion so that they may believe what is false in order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. The church has to be different from the world. God's people have to be different. We have to be servants of one another. We have to love one another. Jesus, Jesus, thanks for that amen. Sometimes I wonder. This is not rocket science. This is simple. If the God of love dwells in vessels of flesh and saves those vessels of flesh from whatever they were saved from, then that God of love should, as John tells us, go out to those around us. Doesn't matter what they believe. Doesn't matter the color of their skin. It doesn't matter. It has nothing to do with politics. That's as far as I'm going with politics today. The church is different. In the Old Testament, um, in 1 Kings chapter 12, how many of you have heard of Solomon? Okay, if you've been in church any length of time, you know about Solomon. If not, go back and read about him. Solomon was the wisest man in the world. He built the temple. He, had, he was the king of Israel. We see something happen after Solomon died. His son Rehoboam comes to the throne. And the elders from Israel came to him, or the people, the people from Israel came to him and said, listen, how are you going to rule over us? And, so, and Rehoboam goes, boy, I, I never really thought about it. I'll check with my dad's advisors. So he went to the old advisors, and he said, how should I rule over this people? And then they said, listen, you need to kind of lessen up a little bit. You know, take the yoke off of the people. The taxes were high. The things demanded of them, they were, they were forced into labor. I mean, they were tired. They'd given. They had worked for 40 years. And they were, you know, they were just tired of it. And they said, just tell them that you're going to be different than your dad. So he goes, okay. So he goes to his young advisors, the guys that he grew up with, who were in their 20s with him, which should be a red, red flag moment. And he said, well, how should I rule? And they said, oh, you need to go to those guys. And you need to tell them, if you thought my dad was hard. He said, I'm going to whip you with scorpions and we're going to do. And you know whose advice he took? Took the young guy's advice. Split the nation of Israel. Ten tribes left, two tribes went with him. And from there, the decline of Israel until Jesus came, came into pass. You see, up to this point, Israel had God as their, their law. They traded that for a king. And the kings then that ruled over these were subject. I mean, who tells a king what to do? Right? 
I mean, our, our nation is established on a group of laws. We have people that are elected and they're supposed to be able to balance each other out. We're starting to see a blend of, oof. right? I mean, are they not, are they not making some decisions that you're thinking, that's not founded in wisdom? But because of that, because they don't want the truth, they exchange that truth of God for a lie. So, God raised up a class of individuals called prophets. And the prophets then spoke truth to power in the Old Testament. Remember, one of those prophets uh, prophesied about Jesus and led the way in. His name was John. Usually, when they spoke truth to power, they got killed. They were stoned, they were you know, sawn in half, all these things. But someone has to exist on the earth to speak power to power. I believe that today the church has that role in society. Not the institution of the church. The church. You have the right in your family to speak truth to your children. You have right in your family to speak truth to teachers who do not believe like you believe. You have the right in yourself to speak truth to power at city council meetings. But what happens when truth is clouded? When you have truth and the people around you have a different truth. So the church, I believe, has that role in society to be the prophetic voice to government, to leaders that are out of control and not accountable to anybody else. Doesn't mean that they're going to like it. Doesn't mean that they're going to change. Doesn't mean that you won't become persecuted for it. But on this earth where men rule, until Jesus Christ comes back, there has to be something that tempers that. And I believe it's the church. You see, we have the Spirit of Christ in us. Jesus said, if you keep my commandments, I will, I will give you that Spirit of truth, and he will lead you into all truth. So what function is the church if not speaking truth to power? You don't have to agree with me. That's okay. It's, it's all right. But I'm going to tell you what, the church has been asleep for too long. When we took prayer out of schools, what did the church say? When we passed the law on abortion, what did the church say? See, the church has thought, well, you know, we need to pull back. We just need to know. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, establishing his kingdom here on this earth and we're going to take everything. No, 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 no. This is not where we live. We, we have a different place we're going to live. But while we're here, while we, while we occupy in our short lives, what do we do? I mean, think about how truth has changed in our society. In, in 16, I think it was 1638, or the earliest a college, an institution in the United States was founded. And its motto was truth for Christ and the church. That's pretty good for a college, isn't it? That college is still in existence today. It has somewhere around $2 billion in endowments. And its motto today is Veritas truth. You see, the education system is where we're losing this battle. Because we send our children, and I am not against education. I'm not against higher education. 
I think that when you remove God from education, you just make smarter sinners. It's just a thought. Because the Spirit of God in people tempers right and wrong. The Spirit of God in us. So, you know, like, you know, I, I shared, when our children were in school, we, we were actively involved with our kids. We were not obnoxious to the teachers. We didn't yell at them. We didn't, you know, when they, when they did something that we did disagreed with, we went and sat, talked to them, loved them. But our children knew and understood. We, we were active in their, in their, in their um, education. When my son went to college, he got into a class and um, he almost flunked because he was arguing with his, um, his science teacher about science based upon what the teacher was teaching, what he believed that the Bible said. Truth for Christ and the church to just truth. What happens? When we exchange the truth of God for a lie, and we specialize in unrighteousness, what's being taught in our in our uh, colleges today, and there's nothing wrong with colleges. But what's being taught? Is God welcome? Are the Ten Commandments welcome? Are Christians really welcome? So what happens is in these institutions, we're starting to see more and more people that are not balanced with the Spirit of God, the people who teach, Keep building on a lie. The, the lie then brings people to lawlessness. Because if you remove God, then you remove morality, because he is the arbiter of morality. So this mystery of lawlessness, it's been going for a long time. Remember John said, sin is lawlessness. That's what it is. And he said that those of us who are saved don't continue sinning. So what is different within the church? What's different about us? That is the question. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14 says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God, great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself to us to redeem us from all what? Lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Did the psalmist say, that the pure of heart were going to be in God's temple? This, this thing is woven throughout the Scriptures, and only Christians that, that study the Word and are, are, are hungry and spend time with each other and serve each other and serve the Lord can understand anything of this. The world will never understand what we do. They'll never understand why we love each other. They'll never understand why we, do, uh, why we preach the Word and stay with it because they do not understand the truth. They're not our enemies. Remember, Jesus treated everybody. He, the Samaritan woman. When Jesus went to the Samaritan woman, the Samaritans were a cross between Jews and, and Gentiles, and the Jews called them dogs, not preaching against Jews. Okay? It's just a historical fact. And so when Jesus came up to this woman who was sitting at the well, he asked her to give him water, and she said, what are you having to do with me? I'm, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew. And so Jesus sat down and he didn't say, you know, you are, you're just a filthy dog. It's not what he said. He struck up a conversation with her. Pretty soon, you know, he, he's talking with her and, and he said, um, you know, the conversation came around. He said, you know, you've had five husbands and the guy you're with right now is not your husband. And her response was, I perceive you're a prophet. He didn't condemn her. 
he loved her and sent her back to her village. When she went back, she said, there's a guy you got to see. He's different than anybody I've ever seen, anybody that's ever talked to me. Do your friends say that about you? When they have problems, do they know that they can call you? Or are you and I in our lives around them so religious and so uh, condemning of their whatever it is that they do that they don't know how to turn to us? They'll, They'll rather turn to alcohol or drugs or suicide or all these other things. We, saints, are the hope for the world because Christ dwells within us. Not us as in, it's his spirit dwelling within us. You have a lot of young people in this church. Do you realize you're the future of the church? You are. How many of you see your children ever pastoring a church? Listen, my dad's still trying to figure out where he went wrong by raising a preacher. That was, that was not his intent. And I say that with all love for my dad. He, he accepts what I do now. How about your children? Are they going to be the president of the United States someday? Or senator? Wouldn't you rather have Christian senators, Christian presidents, Christian councilmen, Christian aldermen, who are guided by the truth rather than vacillating all the time? See, it's up to us as the church to train our children. Younger leaders in this church, if I can share this with you, I shared this in first service. As you come up into this church, don't cast off the old. That's what Rehoboam did. He cast off the old and listened to the younger people that had no life experience and only wanted to rule out of arrogance and position of power. When the older men who had gone through it said, well, we need to just, you know, there's a balance within the church. You know, I share this, you know, Brother Todd and I are about out of here. Not, I'm, you know, not that he's retiring. He will. I will. Who's going to take the church over? Who's going to walk? Who's going to preach the word? Who's going to reveal the truth and live the truth in front of it's got it's, it's the young people in this church. See, our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Christ. And he has come that we might have life and that life more abundantly. So do we let the world influence the church? Does the world see the church as this antagonistic group of Puritans or prejudice? I mean, how many churches do you know? I mean, just, and I'm talking about the institution, the denominational churches. How many really get along with each other in Lafayette? We have a town of about uh, 30,000 in the surrounding area. It's about 50,000. It's a small city, town. We have 62 churches in that town. I marvel at that. I don't know how many churches you have in Lafayette surrounding area. And, it's, and I'm not saying it's not, right, it's not right to have a church. It's do you get along with the other people? Because the Bible says that the church should love the church. doesn't matter who you are, where you're socioeconomic, the color of your skin. matters not. It matters whether Jesus Christ, the living God, dwells within us. And in serving one another, we show the world that he is our God. I just want to encourage you today with this.
And I, you know, I'm, like I shared with Pastor Todd, I don't want to make a mess that he has to fix next week. But if I, I just, our, our passion, because Brother Todd and I have talked, our passion is for the church to walk with God. We, I'm telling you what, it's, and I can't make you, he can't make you. Your wife can't make you walk with God. Your mother, your father can't make you. You have to have a concerted individual effort and skin in the game on it. You have to want to walk with him. If you want to walk with him, he said that he would place within you his spirit of truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. So if we take that truth and we exchange it, this is what Paul says in in, uh, Romans chapter 1. Read the whole thing. It says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by the righteousness suppress the truth. Or excuse me, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, therefore God turns them over to a depraved mind. Is it possible that within the church, people who are here, is it possible if we just continue to sin and continue to sin that we never did know Jesus? Or if we did, we've drifted away from him. Is it possible that he would turn us over? See, I don't want to find out. Do you? Do you want to dabble with sin? Do you want to continue to just kind of on the fringe? See, there are a lot of people that are fringe churchers. You ask them, they say, oh, yeah, I go to family life. Okay. But they never come in. They never, because they just, they're they're either guilt or fear, or they just want to live with sin and compartmentalize Jesus. He's my Sunday thing. And when we get out of church, this is my saints, it's not how we do it. It cannot be. That's how the world does it. Their relationships are shallow, most usually. Why do you come together? Why are you here today? Why am I here? I know I was asked. I'm excited to be here, but, I mean, you guys could have been anywhere today than here. God spoke to you, you listened, and you came. He has a word for you today. You didn't come to listen to me. Most of you didn't know I was here. You might not have come. I don't know. I I have... I flunked speech class in high school. I needed a half a credit of English. And so I told my teacher, I said, I just need this class. I just need the credit. I will never use this in my life. I operate off of this theory. And it's my theory. There was a, a prophet in the Old Testament named Balaam. And Balaam got on his donkey. And I have to use a different word now. It's donkey rather than kids are present. So he gets on his donkey and he's going to go and he's going to curse the children of Israel. And the donkey sees a, an angel at the end of this row of, of, of uh, this, these rocks. And he gets over and he crushes Balaam's foot. And Balaam gets off and he's just wailing on this donkey. And the donkey finally speaks to him and says, have I not been your donkey all these, li- all these years? Did I not just save your life from that? And Balaam looks up and goes, oh. Now let me ask you this question. When that donkey got done speaking, was he any smarter than when he started? Or was he the vessel God used to speak through? That's all I am here today. Not a donkey. But it does keep you humble as a pastor when you keep that in mind. Because we're nothing. 
without Christ. It's the message. It's the message. I'd encourage you to read what I've shared with you today. I encourage you to prayerfully consider what I've shared with you today. Because this is what Paul reveals in the second mystery. The first mystery was the mystery of lawlessness. The second mystery is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. I encourage you to read that whole letter because he tells you how to behave. Which is the church of the living God, listen to this, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit. Jesus came and lived as a man. When he died, God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. Seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up into glory. That's the mystery of godliness. We have the mystery of lawlessness that's at work. We have the mystery of godliness that is at work. Psalms chapter 19, verse 7 through 11. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Saints, the church, you and I, whether it's in Gillette, Wyoming, Lafayette, Karen Crow, wherever, is and is supposed to be the pillar, the buttress, the thing that holds things up. Truth. This is simple. We make it hard. We have these rules and regulations about how people need to get saved and what they're, you know, and I, I, I've always come back to this simple thing of the thief on the cross. When the thief on the cross turned to Jesus and he knew that he was, was the Lord, he looks at him and he said, Lord, will you remember me this day when you come to your throne? And Jesus' response was the response of all Christians back to him. No, you're too much of a sinner. You've lived a life. I don't, man, you're not good enough. Isn't that what he said to him? Wait a minute. Did he lead him in the sinner's prayer? Did he tell him he had to be baptized? He looked at him and he said, today, you'll be with me in paradise. See, he sees the heart. He sees our heart. And if our heart is right with him, he'll find us and he'll change it and he'll bring us into his kingdom. And he will do that work that no one else can do. He'll restore and fill us with life and hope so that we do love one another. As a church... Do you want to be known in Lafayette as the church that is the greatest worshipers of God and serve one another, love one another?
That's the greatest gift you can give Lafayette. Live your lives for them, through them, and around them, for the people that you work with. It's not an accident you're with them. Amen? You are the church of the living God. Not because I called you that, because he has called you that. If you are the church of the living God, then you behave a certain way in the household of God. If you are the household of God, you are the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Not too much weight for you. Saints, you have what the world needs. You do. Do not discount it. If the Spirit of the living God dwells in you, you have what's needed for that person you're working with. You have what's needed for that student that you have in your class. If you're a teacher, I'm not beating you up here today. And you have the toughest job in the education system with so many restraints. But you can still give love to your students. If you're a parent, you have love to give to your children. Every day, every day, I tell my wife and my children I love them. Makes me such a good husband, doesn't it? Do you know what? The last thing I want my wife to know, the last thing I want her to hear when I go out the door in the morning, or the last thing I want my children to hear if we're talking or on the phone is I love you because that might be the last time I see them and I want them to live with no regrets. Even when Carrie and I are disagreeing, we never fight, we just disagree. And I go out the door, you can ask her. Before I don't go out the door, I say, I love you. And then I slam the door and go out. <laughs> Not really. Because I'm afraid of her. Life is short, saints. We're here for a small portion of time. And we've been given such a great work to do. But we've not been left defenseless. We have been given his spirit. And if his spirit dwells in us, we are that which speaks truth to power outside and around us. Not arrogance, not superiority, humility and servanthood. That's how we serve. Would you all stand with me? Thank you. And Father, I pray for your church today. This is not Pastor Todd's church. This is not my church. Father, this is your church. These are your people. You died for each and every person here, and you saved us, and you brought us out of uh, darkness into light. And so, Father, I just pray, Father, it's not an accident that I came all the way from Wyoming to come here to be with your people. They're a blessing to me. But I know that, Father, we, we are called to be your servants and a pillar and a buttress of truth. We confess, your church, Lord, that you were manifested in the flesh. We confess that you were vindicated by the Spirit, that you were seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. We're your church. You died for us. You served us. I pray that, Father, by your Spirit this day, you would, you would show us how to live this thing that we've heard today. Even myself, in giving it, I need to live this. We want to finish well, Lord Jesus. 
So I pray your blessing upon this people here today, that Father, you would move mightily in their hearts and their lives and their families and their businesses and in their, as if they're employees, that Father, your blessing would rest upon them. That Father, you would correct us where we need it and that you would move in us, that we would not continue to sin, but we would be different than the world. Jesus, you've overcome the world. That's what your word says. Your words are truth. That's what you shared with us. So bless your church. Your church. Bless them, Father, this day. Keep them according to your will and your way. Pour out your spirit, Father, upon us today. Pour out your spirit upon us and in us that we might know as you've written on our hearts and in our minds your law so that we will not be lawless but we will be godly. Father, we need you, otherwise we cannot do this. We need you, Father. Oh, God, come. Come to this place. Fill our hearts. God.